Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 312. What are we, animals? We will have cappuccino. Boris, the cinematographer. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome to a special edition of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Blackbox. Blackbox is a new platform and community that is all about financial freedom for filmmakers like you. If you join Blackbox, you will be transformed from being a worker to being a maker of your own content, and you'll be making steady passive income from the global market. Blackbox currently allows you to upload your stock footage once, get it to many global agencies, and then allows you to share that passive income stream with your collaborators. Whether you want to submit old footage that's been sitting around in your hard drives or create brand new content, Blackbox is for you. It's really quite revolutionary. With Blackbox, filmmakers can concentrate on making great content while Blackbox takes care of all the business BS. Just visit www.blackbox.global to find out more. And today's show is also sponsored by Indie Film Hustle TV, the world's first streaming service dedicated to filmmakers, screenwriters, and content creators. If you want access to filmmaking documentaries, feature films about filmmaking, interviews with some of the top screenwriters and filmmakers in Hollywood, as well as educational online courses all in one place, IFH TV is for you. Just head over to IndieFilmHustle.tv. And today's show is also sponsored by Indie Film Hustle TV, the world's first streaming service dedicated to filmmakers, screenwriters, and content creators. If you want access to filmmaking documentaries, feature films about filmmaking, interviews with some of the top screenwriters and filmmakers in Hollywood, as well as educational online courses all in one place, IFH TV is for you. Just head over to IndieFilmHustle.tv. So guys, today we have a very, very, very special guest. Today we have Boris, the cinematographer. Now this is a cinematographer that worked with me on Shooting for the Mob in the, in the movie Inside the Book, Shooting for the Mob. And uh, we've been friends for about uh, almost 20 years now. And he is the main reason I actually got off my butt and wrote this story and told, uh, wrote this book and, and decided to tell my story because of him constantly beating me up over the years to do so. And I wanted to bring Boris on the show to talk about the story from his perspective. And it is done in a very deep throat FBI witness relocation program kind of style. So his voice will be altered so his identity is not revealed. He does sense a little bit of worry about putting himself out there publicly right now. I told him he shouldn't unless he really, really wants to for obvious reasons. I mean, we are talking about a gangster, a mobster, you know, all that kind of good stuff. I, on the other hand, 
decided, hey, what the heck, I'm just going to do it anyway because I need to get this story out of me and out into the world. So that was my decision. But again, I wanted to have Boris on because his perspective and his storytelling is awesome. And this is going to be a very, very interesting episode. So if you guys have not heard, I have written that book called Shooting for the Mob. It is now officially available on Amazon. So please go buy it, tell people about it, share it. Uh, just go to shootingforthemob.com and it'll take you straight to Amazon. Uh, or you could just go to indiefilmhustle.com forward slash mob and it'll take you there as well. And if you have read the book, I really, really need you to stop what you're doing and go leave a review on Amazon. It really, really helps us out a lot. We have, believe it or not, become bestsellers already on Amazon in the in certain categories. So we are uh, an Amazon bestselling book, which is insane to me and I'm humbled by it. So thank you guys so much for buying the book and continuing to buy the book and please spread the word and tell anybody and everybody about the book. I really, really appreciate it. And if you guys are in the LA area, April 25th, we will be having a screening of On the Corner of Ego and Desire at the Chinese Theater, the world famous Chinese theater in Hollywood, followed by a Q&A for the movie. And then I'm going to be doing a talk about fear and breaking through your fears to make your first feature film and talking about the, my story and what I went through with shooting for the mob. And then afterwards, we're going to have Q&A and then a book signing and we'll be selling books there as well. So if you want to get tickets to come out and uh, see the tribe, visit with the tribe and myself, just head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash screening to check it out. And I promise you it's going to be a pretty epic evening. But this episode, this interview is fairly epic. It's nothing like I've ever done before on the show. But I want you to remember that we altered the voice for Boris to protect him. And I, did, I just didn't feel comfortable putting him out there, uh, exposing who he is and putting his name out there uh, at this point in time because uh, I really care about Boris and I want anything to happen to him. So that is the reason why we have altered his voice. Bear with it. So it is just Amazing! Really, I, I I'm so happy to bring this to you guys. I'm like you can tell in my voice. I'm so like giddy because I can't wait for you guys to hear this story. So I've told you a little bit of the story, but now you're going to hear a whole bunch more about the story from behind the scenes uh, episodes of what's going on, things that were happening at the time, and uh, I just I'm just excited to get it to you. So without any further ado, please enjoy my deep throat witness relocation program interview with Boris, the cinematographer. Okay, Boris. Yes, my friend. So you've read the book and, and you were, well, let's take it back to the beginning. You were the reason why I wrote this book. You were the one that kept hounding me for, for years to tell this story. And finally it came to the point where I could not uh, argue with you anymore because you wanted me to write a screenplay originally. And I said, no, I can't write a screenplay. I don't want to write a screenplay. This, I, it's just not, I'm not going to go chase money. And then you said to me, well, why don't you write a book? And I was like, damn it, I can write a book. And it's your fault that this has happened <laughs> in the first place. Um, yeah, as we do this um, in Eastern Europe, you know, where I come from, we read books. Books are a very important part of your education, and books are also something that stays and uh, as a document for uh, the history, for posterity. 
So having the book, having the book done, it's it's more than just like doing your own personal uh, soul searching or making the journey or re, uh, experiencing everything that you went through. But think about it. This is like something that generations and generations of aspiring filmmakers, or if there is any films, something in the future, they might be doing something else, but. They will be finding this as very, very interesting and inspiring, amusing, educational, informative, and whatever else people will find in this book. Yes, it uh, it, it it is uh, it was all of that, and then and then some, <laughs> without question. So you've read the book. Uh, I want to ask you straight: Is this book true to your experience? Because you were with me on this journey for about three months out of the year that I was involved with this project. What is your feelings on the book's truth, authenticity, and did I exaggerate anything? I don't think um, uh, when, com- when it comes down to exaggeration, I don't think there is uh, any level of exaggeration in the book. I think uh, that's what the biggest, I think, the, the, the real value of the book is that there is really no exaggeration. It's real. It's all real and it's really 100% to the truth what really happened. And that's what I think is going to be the most intriguing aspect of the book. Um, to me, I think it was really interesting to read the book because not only that I was part of this for all these several months we spent together on it, but learning all the background stories, learning about you, learning how you get into this, and learning about some other people that I had a chance to interact during our pre-production. So this is all combined together gave me a whole like, new perspective on our experience in, uh, back then. Right, because you didn't know the whole story. You only knew parts of the story, and it was patchy, and then you only knew the stories from your perspective. You never saw all the stuff that I went through behind the scenes, a lot of it before and after you left. Well, that's right. I mean, when you are in pre-production, you don't have time much for chit-chat, although we did have a lot of time later on down then. But, but at least, you know, we ended up... Uh, we ended up doing, I think, very, very uh, interesting work with interesting group of people, really talented people. And and going back and thinking about this, I really wish we made this movie because aside from all the experience that we went through, uh, I still wish that story is told somehow uh, about about uh, Jimmy's life and everything that's... It's about... Re- the story is obviously about redemption. It's all about redemption. There's no there's no question that the story is not about Jimmy. It's all about redemption. No, it was always from the beginning all about redemption. Now, uh, and you actually coined that phrase. You're the one that said redemption to him. And then from that moment on, I, apparently he looked up the word and he, uh, and he started spouting that. And you turned to me like, I just told him that yesterday. <laughs> well... As we all know, uh, Jimmy had this tendency because he's a total uh, newcomer to the world of film. Uh, so he does not understand really the, the, the language, the lingo that we use in the business and in industry. So I remember uh, one of his favorite phrases was favorite nation in the contract because uh, many times he would get uh, any kind of draft of the contract. Well, favorite nation is a term used normally in. Uh, in a, in a contract, in a legal language, uh, basically explaining that um, everybody's equal, of every nation. But um, so for uh, for me, uh, any any when 
we had this production meeting, I still remember vividly. Um, it was more like a pep talk, pep rally, and Walter wanted to hear how everybody is so excited about the project and everybody. Um, I remember the I remember the production meeting we had, and uh, Jimmy was so eager to hear from everybody, like one of the first meetings, like uh, how great this whole film is going to be, and uh, and what we think about it. And for me, well, it was kind of just like war that came out. Oh, it's about uh, redemption because as much it was all ego-driven project, he was very sensitive not to make it obvious. So I think redemption was a perfect excuse for him to find a real uh, catchphrase that explained really the, the, the meaning of the film. So it's about redemption, it's not about him. I mean, of course, it was all about him, as we know. Very much so, it was all about him, without question. Now, a quick question before we continue. We obviously have blacked out your face here and changed your voice um, to protect your identity. Uh, I obviously cannot protect my identity because I am the author and the subject of the book. Uh, do you fear for yourself? Is that the reason why you, you know, agreed to do this? Uh, or, I mean, is, is it the reason why you wanted us to black out your face and change your voice? Do you fear for your life in any way? Well, I don't fear for my life. Uh, so just to say, I might be a little bit too much to say I fear for my life, but I think it's better to... Uh, not to, to, to be too public about this, at least for me. You know, maybe one day I might say really who Boris really is and everything, but that remains to be seen. I think what is more important that you tell the story, because this is your story and we are all just part of that world that happened during the, during the production. So uh, I think at this point it's still better for me to stay kind of in the shadow and not to drive too much attention. Literally in the shadows. Literally in the shadows. <laughs> Fair enough. So, when uh, one of the one of the uh, the um, moments that I loved uh, in the in the book and, and us when we when we met was the the espresso, the cappuccino events. Uh, can you ref refresh uh, for the audience for people listening? Uh, because people, a lot of people who are watching this have already read the book. Can you talk from your perspective about the cappuccino machine? <laughs> Back in old country, uh, it's very important. Coffee is not just uh, just the drink that you get in the morning and get your day going. Uh, it has more social meaning. You know, we we would sit and enjoy coffee while having meaningful conversation, or just you know, kind of having a little chat and just to warm up before we really get serious about whatever we want to do that day. So for me, having this ritual is really essential, and I still keep this ritual first thing in the morning, even at my home here. I turn on my cappuccino machine, and then gradually I embark upon the day and see what's going to happen. But I never drink coffee by myself. It's kind of boring. So coffee is social event. Coffee is, coffee is a part of the cultural ritual. And I wanted to bring this culture into the culture of our production. And I think I did it successfully. Yeah, you actually, uh, if I may quote you, said, what are we, savages? We will have cappuccino. That's exactly my point, you know, to be in production office without coffee maker, or at least a little bit more sophisticated. So coffee maker, come on, after all, we are $20 million budget production. Oh. <laughs> it has to be best. We cannot just go for some whatever, you know, forgers. 
and and let's talk about that twenty million dollar budget, which we never saw, and the budget kept getting dropped daily or weekly uh, and rescheduled and all this kind of stuff. When you showed up to the production offices the first day, what was your thought when you were dropped off at a racetrack? Well, uh, from even before I showed up on the, on the racetrack in our production office, I knew this is not going to be your typical normal production as we all used to. We knew there was already so many things, just the, just the way I was brought in it was so out of the ordinary, being hired without reading the script and just being brought because I said I like the script to read and that was enough for me to, to be hired. That was That spoke the volume that is going to be a very interesting and unusual journey. So for me, uh, and, and you know, the fact that I was picked up by the producer and his wife and a couple other assistants and brought to some Italian hangout restaurant in south side of the city and uh, and uh, and immediately presented with my key grip and gaffer as people who are already hired. There's a lot of things and given big uh, Lexus SUV to drive around. To me, these are all signs out of something very much out out of the charts. And then, of course, coming to horse truck race truck, which I have never been in my life. It was yet another world that I had to learn and experience, and uh, I had no idea. And it was quite interesting experience. But then, seeing the vastness of production office, yeah, it was something that I mean. I'm, couple bigger and smaller production productions, but I've never seen anybody having production of this, of this scope. Uh, for such a, you know, uh, an unknown. Right, right. Now, I wanna ask, I've always wanted to ask you this question. What did you think when they told you, oh, it's a first-time director, and he's a young guy, and all that kind of stuff? Because this was, I mean, you had already been direct, being a cinematographer for a few years. I mean, well, not a few years, you're probably about 10 years by that point. So you were an established cinematographer, you know, working your way up the, the ladder. What did you think when you saw the trailer that I shot uh, and everything like that in general before you even met me? Yeah, this, the truth is, yes, I was by then, uh, I, was, I, I would say my career was nicely on, on, uh, on steady uh, rising direction. And, uh, and, you know, as a cinematographer, we always have to be open-minded about projects that we are working on, and uh, and I always find it exciting meeting new people, working with new people. Um, working with the first-time director, that was not the first time that I worked with the first-time director. So for me, it was um, not something out of the ordinary when it comes out to my approach to film. Usually working with the first-time director as a cinematographer requires a little bit more, um, I would say, patience and time, because the, the gap, as much as uh, creatively you might have some great ideas and, 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 and some ways how you see this film, it's really a cinematographer who has to kind of bring it out to reality and facilitate and, and figure it out how to basically deliver the, the vision. And sometimes um, if directors have no experience, they might be dreaming big and way beyond what is really feasible and, 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 and possible. But after seeing the, the trailer, the promo that you guys shot before I came aboard, I definitely recognized the talent that to me was like, okay, well, that's somebody who I think I can work with and we will be able to communicate. And, uh, you know, obviously when we started working, when we started our pre-production and everything else, 
we quickly established our way of uh, communication, as we all know, and it's really well described in the book. But the, uh, I would say the, the, the gap that we had was just normal, natural gap. I mean, I already by then had like maybe six, seven feature films and a bunch of other projects, so I felt it's my duty to bring you up to kind of the speed and, 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 and take you out any possible like pitfalls that normally first directors tend to get on. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, of course, I, I enjoyed the fact that we could, uh, because we had a time, we could actually watch a movie. We watched many movies. Many, many movies. So for me, it was kind of like uh, having, a, uh, giving a basically personal um, film history, almost film history, cinematography, uh, personal class, just for you to be able to, if I'm referencing something, so you can develop shorthand, so it's easy. Or oh, if I say whatever, Bergman Corsara or whatever else big name we would throw around, makes us also look good, makes us look that we know what we're talking about. Because it's all about redemption. Because it's all about redemption. Now, have you ever been on before or since a project that had, th- well, been in pre-production for nine months? Uh, no. That is such a rarity. Honestly, when I think about it, I was personally think about three months. Um, it's a such a rarity unless you're really on a big movie. I'm sure on some big project, big project it's normal the cinematography will be part of, uh, part of the pre-production for several months. Traditionally, in typical Hollywood production, cinematographers are always brought, well, it depends on the budget, four, six, maybe eight weeks. That's already like getting into medium, medium, um, Productions and uh, and if you're in any larger size, well, there is a reason if you have like three months pre-production, that's like scope of the film and the scope of the pre-production is far bigger than having enough time to, as we did, watch uh, movies for two three hours every day, drink cappuccinos, and scout endlessly, endlessly all over the state, and that's kind of luxury which I never had. When we were traveling around Louisiana, looking at all those locations, I mean, we must have had, how many locations did we, we look at? Hundreds? I don't know. I stopped, I stopped counting because I know after initial scout and initial visit of locations, we would go again and revisit them. And then again, revisit them just to make sure that maybe something might change. Oh, maybe let's check another prison or let's check another strip bar. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, or another house or whatever. I don't even know how many places we scouted. It was kind of just like almost a daily routine. Get in the morning, get a coffee, get a breakfast, watch a movie, and then get in our uh, Lexus, uh, I think, 480 SUVs with navigation and the uh, lady in the trunk who will guide us to our desired destination. That was space-age technology back then. Back then it was unbelievable. It was like, um, what was more unbelievable that we had to return these SUVs every week. Because of the mileage. Because of the mileage. So can we talk about that really quickly? We actually got a product placement for for these Lexuses from a local dealership. Not from Lexus, but from a local dealership. So then we could actually, uh, you know, return it after 100 miles. I don't know, but there was a certain cutoff number which we're not allowed to drive more than whatever. And we would just replace the new... Right, because they can still sell them as new cars, otherwise... Needless to say, this was a period piece film, so there was no place for a 2001 Lexus. No. 
Uh, no, I, but I remember actually when I when I asked uh, when I asked uh, Jimmy about it, he said, "Don't worry, don't worry, it will be all good. We're gonna put a deep, kind of deep in the background. Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna recognize." But I don't remember even in a movie which ends up in I think 1990 was the final scene of the film mm-hmm. of the script at least. Um, they had this kind of cars, SUVs. So I just didn't want to argue. Hey, who would argue if somebody gives you? I have to say, this was the first and only time that I had such a car as my vehicle to drive around in production. That's like that's really like normally. Yeah, you could see director or producer, so they drive this, but not to the EP and some other people we had on production. Yes, exactly. The our production designer, our location scout, yes. and our uh, first AD. Who was generally on 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 the journey with us every time? Indeed. Now you you heard of a lot of these stories of what Jimmy was doing as far as yelling and threatening people and screaming. What was the one time that you heard or saw something that you that sticks with you still to this day? Um. Well, I have to admit, having Jimmy around was always fun. Uh, because he is definitely one of these kind of characters you see, like in, in these uh, movies about uh, gangsters and mafia. Uh, he is. I think. I think he was definitely trying very hard to to impersonate either Joe Pesci or one of these guys. And I mean, you have to admit, these guys are always very charismatic, very mm-hmm. talkative, full of stories, uh, uh, unpredictable on every moment. You never know what's going to happen with them, and that's what kind of adds a little mystery to each of these guys. So. Jimmy, well, I think he liked me right away from the beginning. I think he trusted me. And that was a big deal. I think on, on, on instant level, he, he felt that, you know, he can, he can rely on me, which is, which is fine. It's such a good place to be when you're dealing with guys like this. Um, but his, uh, his impulsiveness uh, is something that was... Interesting to me to observe, and I've seen him a couple times in production office, and I remember one occasion that he was talking to agent, to the agent of one of the prospective um, actors. That, uh, and it was actually early on. Uh, I think we had somebody who was attached, uh, attached, well, not really attached, but somebody who said that he's interested in reading the script. If you're in the film business, you understand somebody says, well, I'm interested in reading the script means nothing. It has no commitment, has no obligation, you know, I'm interested. Okay, I'm just going to read it when I have time. Well, in his mind, that meant we got this guy. He's reading the script, he's interested, that means he's going to do the movie. And I think that was a basic, basic, uh, like, uh, starting point for him to even pull the trigger and no pun intended and, and get production. So that's why he brought all of us and started production because he has a guy who is interested. And it was quite non actor. And I think I happened to be in the office when uh, the agent of that particular talent, particular movie star, basically passed on the script, passed on the movie, passed on the project because he couldn't do it because of, I think, a schedule conflict or, or something was not really quite, as we say in Europe, uh, kosher. So, um, so I think that's what created this rage in, in Jimmy, and, and he was yelling and screaming and cursing and 
threatening that she's gonna break this guy's kneecap next time she sees him, and he slammed the phone. Not great, just like there's a whole, like there's something if you're head of a big studio and you're doing some big movie in the 40s. Maybe I think that's how they used to act, like, uh, probably. But not if you're some unknown who never done, who's never done anything. And to me, there was like, okay, this is going to be very, very interesting. Of course, I called my agent right away, and I told her what happened, and she said, well, um, the word is out already that he is, uh, she said, uh, lose canon. And nobody wants to really commit uh, to this project, no matter what. So she told me, hey, just hang in there as long as you can, but uh, I don't think this movie is going, this movie ever going to get made. Do you think that Jimmy was the best thing and the worst thing to try to get the movie? Because the door, you would have never been able to crack the door into Hollywood without Jimmy and his story. But because of Jimmy, it would never get made. Here's the thing. One thing that I think, maybe when I told you that at some point, what I realized from all this experience is that maybe subconsciously, Jimmy never wanted to make a movie. Really. And why he would not do that? Well, it's not about money. I don't think he needed money. Uh, well, it's about redemption. Not really. It's about him. So, the process of making being, acting as a producer, having people around him, uh, making him so important on a daily basis, was what he needed. And in his mind, as long as he can, he can live this life of importance, he is running on it. He, that's what gives him really, really, like, 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 kick. The moment film is made, well, that's it. He doesn't have any other movie to make. This is his one only shot. This is his story. It's a great story. But he cannot go and now start developing another whatever. I doubt that he would be able to, even if he made a movie. So for him, it was more important just to live the dream of making it, never making it. And then, as we can see, this movie was never made. And I'm sure there's a reason for it. It was while it was his dream. It was our nightmare. Well, it was a roller coaster. It was your nightmare for sure because uh, you you were bested in the film far more than 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 us. We are just kept as uh, you know, kind of like uh, as I call it props. Well, not the props. We are just kind of like supporting supporting. Uh, we are extras. We are extras, really. Like in all this in all this drama. And um, as much as much it was all roller coaster for me, I enjoyed every moment. I enjoyed being with you. I enjoyed being with, with Jimmy and all other people that actually became friends for life, which is great. This kind of experience really bonds you. But but uh, one thing that I knew right away from the beginning, especially after that episode in uh, in his office and slamming the phone and yelling and threatening. I knew this film was going to I knew this was going to get made. So for me, it was like, okay, might as well just enjoy the ride. And it was a roller coaster, for sure. But if I think about anything bad that happened to me, not really. Nothing really happened. Actually, I had a great time when I think about it. 
quite fantastic time. We would hang out, do the things that we like to do, except, you know, we will never make a movie. But in my mind, you remember I told you that, in my mind, after we finish all the scouts, after we finish endless talks, discussions about the scenes and, and, and shot listing it and storyboarding it and everything, basically, like, I felt like Hitchcock, okay, for me this movie is done. This movie, I already made it. Just a matter of executing, putting it in front of the lens. But I had a, every possible detail worked out, what kind of light, where, what lens, what, what movement, everything was... Everything was figured out and planned. So, as far as I'm concerned, anybody could shoot it. Now, you being there for the three months that you were, you caught me at, towards the tail end of my journey. Out from your perspective, I wanted to ask you what you thought of me and what you witnessed in my, my, day, my day-to-day life then. Because you were pretty much the closest, you and, um, and the first AD were the closest two people to me on the production, who I leaned on the most. What did? What was your take on what was I? What, like your impression of what I was going through, and and kind of tell the audience that. Well, right away from the moment when we met, I, I realized that you are the tremendous pressure. That's like obvious. That was really obvious. So, so I, and I can completely understand and relate. Where the pressure was coming. From it was obvious too. I mean, after two minutes in production office, it's clear who's who's tightening the grip and pressuring everything. But you are, you have different responsibilities than anybody else in the production. So obviously, for you the pressure was far greater. And then later on, learning about all this background story that you had prior to me stepping in was well, obviously explains everything even more. So, my take was, okay, I can see he's under pressure. How can I help? So, I was really focusing mostly in creating, uh, uh, helping you to, 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 to kind of keeping you away from Jimmy. Uh, ensuring Jimmy, and I did it a couple of times, I would say, Jimmy, don't worry. He would ask me, hey, can I do that? Don't worry, Jimmy, it's fine. You know, it's, it's okay. He would ask anybody. He would question anybody. I'm sure he would even question me occasionally, like, how oh, can you do this? Uh, you know, I can understand also for Jimmy, he was also, he was probably, he was probably reporting to some high, higher authority. I, I don't know, maybe, I'm not sure. So he had somebody to report to. Somebody was giving money, obviously. You know, we are getting our bags and being paid and it was all nice and good. Cash, mostly. Cash, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's good. Cash is good. Uh, but, to me, really going back to to our connection, really, I think my main main goal was to ease the pressure and get you really into the world of what is important to make. Even if this movie never gets made, I felt it would be great value for you to, to go through the process to pe- prepare you at least what's the proper way, and then next time you get into, into any kind of production, you say, oh, that's how we do it. Do it this way, that way, that way, and not do it the other way, and I think we managed to do that. You basically were my film school, a second film school, <laughs> um, with with this whole project. And I was, it's a film history class, and also a production class on how to actually, between you and, and the first AD, uh, Frank, they, you, you two taught me how to make a movie, like how to actually make a feature film. And I could have done that if Jimmy wasn't around. Yeah. 
uh, Frank was fantastic guy to have around. I mean, you have to say, you have to reconsider that you're so so lucky to have Frank. Uh, Somebody of that, that, that knowledge and, and, and experience and also the calmness. Yes. I mean, the way he was handling any situation, like a really good seasoned AD would. There is nothing that can take him out of his balance and that was the greatest thing to have. Anybody else, I would say, would freak out and run for his life. Not Frankie. Frankie is a good guy. He knew how to do it the right way. And uh, well, for me, it was really, I, I kind of took role of a mentor, mm-hmm. which I do nowadays regularly with younger cinematographers. Uh, and, and I enjoy doing that. I enjoy sharing all knowledge because I always find out um, it's the two-way street. And working with somebody who does not have maybe that much experience, well, the value of somebody who doesn't have much experience is the freedom. You know, as much as getting knowledge, getting education, learning the craft, learning what you do is great and gives you confidence and knowledge and skill. But on the other hand, a little bit of naivete gives you far more freedom to be unconventional. And I think for somebody who gets a little bit seasoned, it's always good to be reminded that there is another far less structured approach to do the same thing. So for me, it was like, okay, well, I think between your uh, freedom in doing things and between my pragmatic, logical way of planning things, because at the end, that's how cinematography is, I think we can find nice balance, and I think we did, except in our shop. So basically, you were the Spock to my Kirk. So to speak. <laughs> As we say back in uh, Eastern Europe. Yes. What what was the worst day you saw? First of all, your worst day and my worst day that you saw from your perspective. I'd love to, if you remember anything specifically. Um, I think my worst day, it was not really necessarily my worst day, but it was worst day for everybody. Hmm? 9-11? Um, yes. Yes. That was the day when we knew things will be different. set the tone for quite a lot of things. But you weren't on the production during 9-11 yet. You, mm. you came after. I came after. Right. So on actual production, on the actual no, production. On actual production. Yeah. 9-11 was just... Like uh, a week a week away. A week before I came. Yeah, it happened a week before I came. Yes. So it was still in the air. But yes, yes, yes. But it was very much present. I would say the worst, the worst, or let's say more like a, Bringing down to reality day was the fact when our production designer went first to Jimmy's office to ask to be released um, to do some other project. And when Jimmy turned and almost punched him for daring to ask such a thing, because obviously Jimmy saw this as a personal betrayal. And I guess in his mind, one commitment, he owns you. That's just how it is. So basically, I realized that he owes us. We are really props. We are really like like extras in the drama, in the world that he created for himself to tell the story about um, himself, well, actually, redemption, really. So that was the thing, like, okay, that's going to be interesting. How do I get out of this? Yeah, because I think that was the moment that it dawned on you, like, oh, wait a minute. I, I, I can't leave. Like, I was having fun, but, like, all of a sudden, like, wait a minute, I 
I have to figure out how to get out of here because you're in a different state. I mean, it would have been, you know, you, you just can't walk away, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it must have been, it must have been interesting for you because you and Frank were the only two LA guys at the time. Everybody else was local. Uh, so you guys were in a unique situation. You were living out of a hotel. Mm-hmm. You know, you you were making your sandwiches and bringing them in for lunch because there was no catering. No, no. Yeah, that was a uh, that was very interesting routine how we had it. But to me, it was very. Um, um, yeah, it was me and Frank as the only two guys, and we've been talking about okay after that, like Frank, what do we do? And Frank was like, I really don't know. You know, I'm sure in, in uh, there must be some kind of scenario. And, but we just have to find the moment that has to be perfect storm, so to speak, of elements for Jimmy to be uh, open for the idea. But seeing how he reacted on our production designer's request to let him go and barely managed to get alive out of the office, to me that was a sign I was not going to be easy. And I was thinking about it because obviously I realized as much as fun as we had, and we had fun, it was fun, we were doing things, but... Okay, that's enough. Let's close this chapter. Let's move on. I have other projects lined up and uh, careers to take care of, and I cannot just hang out in beautiful uh, suite, suite on top top of the hotel in the penthouse. I mean, it's all nice. I'm not complaining. It was all great. I was treated really well. Even the sandwiches I was making because, like, I get tired of local food. Like, okay, let's just make my own sandwich. Nice uh, knife, and, and as we do it normally in Europe. Yes, you cut your you cut your sandwiches with a knife and fork. To be civilized, and um, and uh, so that was a kind of all these elements until the finally I got an idea that Christmas was coming, and that's like that's the opportunity. That's like sign for me. If any day in whole year, if any opportunity can be perfect excuse to jump the ship, it's a Christmas, and that's what I did. I went to the office. Trying to be as calm as I could imagine and, and, and get Jimmy in a good mood and chat, chat, and chat. And kind of in passing, mentioned that, you know, the Christmas is coming. It would be so nice if I could uh, spend it with my family. And he looked at me like, what are, you, what, are you, what are you telling me? Like, no, I'm just thinking what would happen. Like, would it, would it be so nice if I could maybe spend, uh, but, but of course, I'm committed to you. I mean, you know, I'm part of this, I'm married to this project. And you know you can count on me. And he looked at me kind of like, are you turning on me? Like, I would never, ever, you have my word. I'm committed to this, but you can count on this, that the moment you need me, I'm there for you. And then he said, well, if you really want to go see your family, I can understand it. And, uh, you know, go back, be back. Like, of course. And there was a moment when, of course, I had everything packed and ready, just in case it works. I get in a car, drove, pick up my stuff, and I was uh, on the flight like two hours later, ready. And Frank was right behind you? Frank was right behind me, so I guess Frank realized, oh, that's maybe the moment when Jimmy's softened up. And he kind of used that as a same kind of like opening for him, and it worked. I, I tell you, though, that was, I'll never forget you guys getting in the cab and driving away. I will never I remember we were right out front of the racetrack and you guys got in the car and you said and you you said to me 
I'll be back. Don't worry, I'll be back. And I knew you were never coming back. I knew. And that was honestly the saddest day out of all the craziness that happened. That to me was the saddest day because then I knew I was alone again. And I had no one to really protect me or guide me or, or anything to be a barrier between me and Jimmy. It was, it was the saddest day of my existence on that project. I, I knew that. And I, I, and I knew that. And I knew this is going to probably happen. And, uh, but um, we really didn't feel like, like, like leaving you hanging out there. And we, we really hoped that our leaving the project will help with the other kind of open the door really wide so that the flood of people jumping the ship will really just happen. And then eventually Jimmy might decide to put everything on hold and let you kind of off the hook. We hope for that. Because it was clear and obvious, especially when we realized that $20 million became 15, that became 10, and the incredible shrinking budget started getting smaller and smaller. And then we realized, well, there must be some issue there. And what was the worst day that you saw in me from your perspective? I'm really curious to hear that. If you remember any worst specific day. Uh, I don't know if there was really specific day, but I think there are moments, you get days coming, and there are usually these days of hyped up expectations for you. I know that you did, you did take a trip to meet some big actor, and, uh, and that looked... Multiple, multiple. Multiple, yes. So... So I could see that every time you would come back from any of these trips, meeting actors, that your spirit was broken more and more. And I can see that you are realizing that the dream that you've been dreaming for months and months and months is further, further away of ever being realized. And, then, and I'm also realizing, I've been realizing that you, know, you are basically trapped without so to me, it's not one event, but there's been several events, especially it had to do with you um, coming back from these meetings with the actors and realizing that they do not do it. Those were the, yeah, those were tough times. <laughs> yep. And what was the one thing that you told me about moving to LA? And I think I told you, well, if you're really, wanna, if you're really serious about making movies, you have to come to Hollywood. And what was and the one thing you always told me was the biggest regret you will ever have is that you didn't do it earlier. Yes, and that was another thing I told you. Yes, I remember it. You know, and you better do it right away. Better do it right away because yes, you will have the biggest regret if you don't do this. You will have the biggest regret not doing it. If you do it later, well, you will regret not doing it, not doing it earlier. But at the end, at the end, I believe that things always happen when they're supposed to happen. You know, there's a there's a there's a moment when you have to act on on your instinct, or if something tells you this is thing to do, then you do it. Doing it maybe too early can be also damaging, as maybe more than not doing it at all. So I think you you did the right thing. You did uh, you evaluated everything, and you 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 came here when it was the right time in your life for you to be here and do what you like to do. So, reviewing everything that we've gone through, um, you're one of my oldest and dearest friends. 
Um, we, we went through war together um, as these kind of relationships are built up on, on locations, on productions. Uh, they're pretty intense. Uh, ours was probably one of the more intense ones you've ever dealt with, with another director uh, in this sense. Looking back at it, at everything, what is, what is the feeling that you have about the whole experience uh, that really kind of just rings to you at this point? Looking back with the perspective of almost 20 years back. Now, I mean, I can't believe we're saying 20 years, but it's almost 20 years, yeah, 20 years. that we did this. What's the thing that, that you know, comes to your mind when you kind of look at Jimmy and the experience uh, and, and now the book and how the story is finally going to get out there to people? What's, what's your feeling on it? Never fails to really amaze me when it comes down to the film industry. The, 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 the range of people that this business attracts. That's really, to me, it, it's most fascinating. And, and uh, that experience, particularly experience on our film, uh, was so much different than, than anything I've ever experienced before or after. But proves my point absolutely to, 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 to the core. And, and really, it's, it's a case study of the madness, the, 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 the mayhem, but also determination. And I don't think that any business that I know of brings people with so much determination. And also, I, I think it's a following the dream. People follow dream about being uh, anything, being chef, being, uh, I don't know, pilot, being um, doctor. These are dreams, but the intensity of the dream People in the film business are dreaming, I would say it's exponentially higher. So, uh, no business, I think, other than really the close experience when it comes down to bonding. Just being in pre-film production, pre-production, the level you see, what bonds people, I think, it's being, being um, it's, it's, uh, it's really seeing best and worst on everybody. Because the pressure creates environment that you cannot fool, you cannot cheat, you cannot lie. You are who you are. And the pressure really enables people to get to know each other on a much different level than you would normally do. And that's why everybody says, well, that's kind of closes you when you are in a war, when you're in the trenches. You really get to know it because you rely. You're part of the team. It's not only you, it's, it's about everybody. So you know that if person next to you does not trust you well, it can reflect on everybody else and everything. So, so I think it's about the ultimate team-building experience when you are in film production that creates this unity, that creates a connection, especially when you come across people that are on the same wavelength, so to speak, and they are on, on, on some different level connected. That's the biggest value that you get out of, out of experience like this. The one thing I, I, I mentioned this in the book, but I wanted to hear from your point of view. You, when you came back to L.A., you would tell anybody who would listen about this story and have been for the last 20 years. Is this true? Yes. Yes, this was the best dinner conversation, best party conversation I had uh, for the last 20 years. You know, and still going, and still going. It's still going, and every time, you know, we hang out, you know, with the film people, and every 
everybody shares the horror stories from the set and like, oh, let me tell you my story. I'm going to top off this absolutely, like, nothing comes close to this one. And so far, I mean, I never heard anybody that topped this story at any dinner or party conversation because every time I mention Jimmy and what we went through and what all happens, everyone, that's not possible. Like, well, trust me, because if I tell them, yeah, it, it's really, it's true. And now you actually are going to be handing out books to everybody. <laughs> I cannot wait to get the books and prove that what I told them at the party was actually there. And, it's, and here it is. Now, and it's also true that anytime I would show up to one of these parties, your friends would, would find me and, and would come to me and go, You're, are, is it true? We thought Boris was just joking. Is it true? And I would have to sit there and like validate your story. That's right. That's right. And that brings even even more like expression of confusion and disbelief on anybody land. Also, that really must be the truth. And then how is this possible? So, yeah, I mean, for sure, that's uh, very, very... Hey, we ended up having such a... We ended up quite a few good things out of this. Oh, no, there, there was many, many good things that came out of this experience. Uh, obviously, a, a great friendship over the years, and it made me who I, I am today. And it's also made me the grizzled independent filmmaker that I am now because of it. Uh, so, uh, and it was probably one of the reasons why I wanted to launch uh, Indie Film Hustle, because I wanted to help others not to do the same mistakes that I did. Yeah, I think this will be perfect handbook for anybody who is uh, in the Indie Film Hustle world, as well as anybody who is just like for sheer amusement quality of the book itself. I think that's, that's going to be just amazing. And <laughs> without question... Please explain to people who are listening, because a lot of people were like, oh, this must happen all the time, or this situation can't be this unique. You've been now close to 30 years in the film business. Yeah, 20, let's say, yeah, 20, yeah. 20 odd years, close yeah, to 30. Yeah. Let's, let's round it up. Round it up. You're, you're a younger man, sir, but yes, let's just throw it out there. I started in kindergarten. In kindergarten, you started yeah, DV, obviously. Yeah, with my first films. <laughs> you know, back in Eastern Europe, we do that. We, we make movies in kindergarten, you know, and then elementary school, and uh, that's why we have such a good cinematographer. That's the key. That's right. That's right. But please explain to the audience how unique and ridiculous this, and that this does not happen. Well, it's really hard to explain the ridiculousness of all this experience. I mean, Every detail you bring, telling the story, in my case, just if I say how I get the film, it's already like, ah, oh, come on. They say, no, 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 but there is more. And I bring out that, oh, no, there is no way. And then when I say, oh, yeah, and by the way, and I, oh, no, that can't be possible. So the, the level of ridiculousness in this whole experience is something that is really hard to, hard to match. And, and that's why... Only us who really lived and experienced through this can really, truly understand how this was possible. That we went through this and then ended up whatever happens to, 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 to us. But I think for everybody who reads the book, I'm sure there would be people who say, no, that was all, no way. That was all like blown out of proportion. And it's okay if they think that way. It's fine. It's fine. Because for a lot of people, there would be no point of reference in their own personal experience to say, oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Maybe they can say, they will recognize the episodes and say, oh yeah, yeah, I remember also that. 
when we ended up scouting for um, the strip club, we ended up scouting the entire state to find out the best strip club for half-page scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure there will be people like that. Oh yeah, I work also with a producer who will hang up on the phone. Yeah, but all these puzzles, all these elements together, it's something that's, I think, very hard to mesh. But it's also, what I get out of this experience is nothing ever surprises me anymore. And I've been to some tough productions since then, quite few. But that's okay, that's kind of like, okay, once you have this experience, when you have point that is hard to match, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, been there, it's worse, it's nothing, like in Wag the Dog. Ah, oh, that's nothing. Oh, we shot four horsemen of the copper, apocalypse, we lost three of them, ah, that's nothing, like Dusty Hoffman's character, ah, that's nothing. So, for me, I'm kind of, that's nothing. And that's a great place to be. Like, whenever you get in production, and things are really tough, and they do, like, ah, fine, there will be solution, because I know. I've seen better. I live through, and I've seen worse. I live through worse. Now there has been already. Th- th- there's going to be this question after the book comes out, and it's already you know from the few industry people that have read it before it comes out about the movie, the movie version. It is a question that's asked constantly in any of my interviews. It's constantly asked by anybody. Is it this would make a great movie? Originally, your idea for me was to write a screenplay. I said I didn't want to write the screenplay, and the book came out. I think it's much better that the book came out first, because I got the whole story out. The screenplay can't encompass the entire story. So what is your feeling of the movie idea, first of all, getting made one day? And secondly, if the movie does go through, obviously I'm the only director that I will allow on the project, and you are the only cinematographer that I will allow on this project. What's your feeling on first of the movie and then us being part of the movie? Well, here's the thing. Uh, the movie itself, and I always say, this is still one of the best scripts I read. The, the movie of, the, of, the, of Jimmy's movie? Jimmy's movie. Right. Jimmy's movie. Sure. Jimmy's movie, the script itself, was the great. one that we it was, watched, great. It was great. It was a good script. If we made it, if had we made it, it could have done something. It could have done something. Yeah. I, I think it had it had the potential. Yeah, really. agreed. You know, the story is interesting, and you know, and it's very colorful, and the characters are colorful, and setting is colorful. And it was a unique. It was a unique take on it. It's very, very. You know, yes, it is kind of like um, you know, yet another new mafia movie, but with a little bit more personal family. Kind yeah, yeah, of, yeah. You know, so I, I would see, I could see that, I could see that what would set this film apart from anything else. Our film, making of that film, would be something that, well, you remember, I kept telling you during the pre-production that the, the worst thing that we are missing here, that we don't have surveillance cameras broadcasting 24 hours what's happening in production. And that could have been the best film ever made about making off of the movie that was never made. Uh, but we didn't think about it. We just joked about it, but now in hindsight, when we think about it, like, wow, I wish we had the cameras. Wouldn't it be so great to have cameras and get all these precious moments recorded? So if this movie ever gets made, making off the movie, I think it could be so interesting because um, I remember back maybe around the same time there was a movie called uh, Room about crazy filmmaker who coincidentally 
couple friends of mine worked on, and when they told me, when they told me what was experienced working on this film, The Room, which is probably as crazy as it can get, I don't know, no, no way. I ended up seeing the movie, The Room, actually a couple times. I've seen it for the screening. And, and it was the, the craziest, the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen, but it became a cult. It had a following. It still has a following. Midnight screenings, it was a whole. And then, somebody heard about it. And they made movie disaster artist about making a movie, about how they made the movie, The Room, with a crazy guy who was a director, producer, everything. Mm-hmm. And it was successful. It was really successful. So for a lot of people who have not even seen the movie, The Room, it was just enough to see the movie about making it to make it really great film. So I, I feel the same way about this film, that if, if we would make it one day, well, that would be fantastic to relive it this time forever. <laughs> but the, the question I have, because I always tell people this, that, you know, I always used to critique Jimmy, and you did too, <clears throat> that this movie, he was an egomaniacal maniac because he was making a movie about, he's producing a movie about his own life. And I had never really seen a producer produce a film about their own life. Generally speaking, it's not something that's done. But then, of course, I would take it to the next level where not, I only would not only produce, I would direct and write a movie about my life. <laughs> and have me in the scene, and then you would be there next to me. So then now, how surreal and meta would it be that I would be directing a scene with you and me as the characters, and then you would be there where the, the actor playing you, which would obviously be Sasha Born Cohen. There is the, yes, absolutely. I think that would be so unique, and I don't think it's ever done it's, in the history of cinema. So there is a point that we have to break the new ground here, that's really what it is. And as far as Sasha Baron Cohen, well, uh, you know, I have to think about, uh, I have to look at the resumes and have shots and see, really do the screen test. I mean, uh, cinematographer uh, in this particular story is such a crucial part. It's almost as equally as important as a director. It might be even more important than director. I would disagree, but go ahead. So we have to really think about complexity of the character and how it is possible to bring all these nuances. Oh my I mean, God. Boris is a very complex guy. Oh, Jesus. And um, it has to communicate his, his historic background, his education, his cultural heritage, aside from his artistic skill. And, uh, and whole philosophy when it comes down to telling the story visually. So, yeah, I agree, maybe Sasha Baron Cohen would be as close as we can get to, to, to get the character of Boris, me. As, as really true to the life. I'm rethinking the whole Boris character in general. <laughs> we might have to tone it down a little bit. You might just have one or two scenes, sir. I would not You should make it on the poster. You should be the front of the poster. Boris should be on the poster because he's such a crucial part of the story. Without question. I, I think it would, be an, it would obviously be a very unique experience. Um, I, couldn't even, I can't even think about making a movie like this without you. So it just has to happen. If it has, I mean, I can't have another cinematographer do this. It has to be you. Um, Frank is is no longer with us. He has since passed. Uh, but I would have loved to have Frank on this um, on this project as well. But uh, but between, I mean, having you would be there would be. 
so surreal, I think we might break the space-time continuum. <laughs> I have a feeling the right way to do this would be to go back to the original location, to the crime scene, and uh, go to the same racetrack, get back to the same production offices we have there, I would make a Pacino, and start production there, which would also serve as location for the movie. And uh, I think also reuniting everybody who participated in the original movie would be great. So bring them all back. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be really fantastic. By now, I'm sure many of them have very good, successful careers. So might be major stepping down, but doesn't matter. They can still be PA back then, you know, like how we had it. And, and uh, so I think that would be a really right way to do this. Question is, how would Jimmy? That was the question. What do you think? What What do you think Jimmy is going to do when he sees? Because this will eventually get to him. Well, I'm. It's hard to predict. As we know, Jimmy is very hard to predict type of guy. He might have his own idea, and I think the the biggest problem, the biggest issue he would have is that he would be taken out of equation in the whole process. So he would not like that. On the other hand. Including him in whatever capacity, even just to play himself. Who knows? That might open whole possibility, but I don't think this ever going to happen. No, it will not happen. Not on my set, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> that will not happen. We are not casting Jimmy to play Jimmy. But we can bring him. Uh, we can bring him as a consultant. I, I think. Absolutely not. Consult. I don't want. There's no consulting. There's nothing I want Jimmy to do on this film. Nothing whatsoever. So, if I, anything, we might be able to uh, give him a ticket to the premiere. <laughs> I think we will need to have a beefed up security if anything else on the production. Oh, that I give. That I guarantee you are going to have beef up. And you and I will have personal bodyguards walking around with us at all times. Of course. I would not do it in any other way. But in all honesty, though, what do you think Jimmy will do when he, when he sees this? Um, I think here's, here's the thing. He would, of course, be very happy because he is important part of the story. So for him, it will stroke his ego really nicely and immortalize him as a, as, as a Jimmy forever. And that's something I'm sure he would love. Thing that he would not love, well, it will not be a film that he wanted to make about himself. It's about us. It's about the process where he's just important part, but not the key player in all the story. So marginalizing Jimmy as a, as a character in all this story structure would be something he would not be happy about. Oh, I mean, he won't be the star, but he is the main uh, protagonist. Uh, excuse me, the antagonist. He, well, he is uh, what we call the also starring character, you know, like, yes. be like starring uh, Boris and... No, okay, Boris is not top billing. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Can I have top billing Boris, please? Okay, you can get top billing. Okay, fine. fine. Fair enough. Also <laughs> starring Shaving Card, you know, like uh, Jimmy and the rest. Sure. Jimmy and the driver. Right. <laughs> and you think that he, he would, uh, that would be the problem he has? I think the only way to find out really is to make it as soon as possible and see what really reaction would be. Well, he's going to hear the book before the movie is made. I, that's no question. The book will get out before the movie is made. Right. I mean, no question. Yes. Because we are recording this prior to the release of the book. Uh, you know, we haven't spoke. We'll sp maybe we'll do another one where we speak after the book has been released. Maybe after it gets a little press, we'll see what happens. But right now, this is being uh, this is being recorded before the book is released. So we have no idea what will happen to the book. What 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 will go on? We have no idea. So this is a very interesting place to be. Uh, 
yes, definitely interesting place to be, and I'm very happy to be in this place, even though uh, people really don't know real Boris, but... Uh, I think that one day will... I think the real Boris will step out of the shadows, one day. I hope I will be proud one day to bring the key light on me and finally release, release, release the idea of the true, true Boris. And one last question, um, or two last questions. They kind of are similar. What did you feel when you first read the book, the whole thing, from cover to cover, when you first read it? What was the first thing that came to you? Um, it, all, it was all like, to me, reading the book was like big closure, big closure as much for you, was also closure away for me. Because I remember a year or more before that when I made a phone call and called you and told you, hey, I just heard Jimmy on the radio. Can't believe this guy's still around and still doing the same thing. Something needs to be done about it. And I told you, hey, uh, I read the book. And, and you did it. Because I knew that you needed to get it out of your system. That's important. There was something that was always, like, we would always, over the years, reference it, make joke, always crack the jokes, kind of revisit the moments. And, 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 but I knew that there is far more the story than what you and I went through and you and I joked about. So for me, finally, when I read the book, I got the whole picture. I got the whole picture, like, okay, that's what's about. And uh, and I knew that was a chapter that you needed to close for your own sanity, for your own sake of mind. And, uh, and it's also, I think, it was a good place to go um, to revisit where you started and where you are right now. Can you kind of give you some kind of validation of your own personal existence, your personal life? So to me, that was the thing. I loved, I loved the book very much from the beginning when I started reading, especially a chapter about Boris. That was really very, very inspirational. And um, but for me, it was really like I read it in one, you know, in like in one continuous chunk of time. Um, that's how I think compelling really it is. And regardless. It, I was part of it, and I could relate to many characters, to many events, but uh, as a journey, the book takes people, to, it takes reader on. Even if it's whole completely fictional, I think it's just fun. And it's great world to be immersed in, even for a brief point in time. And when you held the book in your hand, I just did that recently. I gave you a full book, because you read the digital version, when you saw it with the cover and everything, what did you feel? Well, you know, book is a document, and it's real. And I hope this book is going to stay in somewhere in some archives and library of commerce. So whatever is going to whoever is going to keep this book for generations and generations. So for me, it was a, it was a real final closure for you, for us, for anybody who was part of this. It was like, okay, this thing is now real. And now this thing is going to go out there and become part of lives of many, many people out there. So now you have the real thing in your hand. And that to me was like a great moment of accomplishment. Boris, thank you so much for, uh, for the inspiration to write the book, for the, the nudging that you've been giving me for the last 20 years. Every time you give, you tell me to do something, it takes me a little bit to get around. Uh, you told me to move to L.A. It took me about six, seven years to do that. 
and you pushed me for 17 years or so to put, to write this book or to write to tell the story, but uh, it finally got it done. So I, I want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart to, that you did that and for everything you did while I was going through the most difficult time of my entire life. Well, thank you for taking me along on the journey, and I'm very happy that I can uh, I can push you in the right direction. And then when you listen to me, at the end, always result is something that you appreciate and, and, and makes me feel good too. So that means I'm not as crazy as I might be. But uh, as we say back in all countries, pasiba and thank you, and uh, and uh, hope to see you again in something exciting. <laughs> I truly want to thank Boris for putting himself out there and doing this interview for not only me but for the tribe, and to t- kind of you know set the record straight that this uh, this is not this is not just me, guys. I, I mean, I have proof. I have people who say that this this is a true story. So I really really want you guys to read this book. I really want you guys to get into it. And again, Boris, thank you, thank you so much, my friend. You are. Uh, one of my best friends in the entire world. And I truly, truly, truly appreciate uh, everything you did for me then and uh, everything you've done since. So thank you again, Boris. Now, if you enjoyed this episode of Boris and his interview, if you want to actually watch this interview, just go to the show notes at IndieFilmMuscle.com forward slash 312. And I have posted that interview on YouTube and and there's a video in the show notes. So if you actually want to see Boris in, in live and action, definitely check it out as well. There'll be links there as well for the screening, the book signing, and the talk that I'll be doing on April 25th at the Chinese Theater. I'm so, so excited to get this out there for you guys. And I, the reviews that have been coming in on Amazon and privately are amazing. And I really, really, really am humbled. And thank you so, so much for this. If you guys have purchased the book, guys, take some pictures send them to me. I want to post them. I want to put them out there. If you want to do a video uh, review, send me a video. I will post it on YouTube. I will post it on Facebook. I will post it throughout all of my uh, social media. I really want to get what you guys think out there. I want this to be, I I want this book to be uh, not only about me and about the story, but about the tribe and how it's affecting you guys and how it's hopefully bringing us together and helping you guys on your own journey. So please, uh, send me anything and everything you guys got. Pictures, videos, audio, whatever. I will post it. I will get it out there as much as I can. So thank you guys again so, so, so much for the support. I truly appreciate it. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. 
whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck. Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia 